All right. Well, we are kind of continuing our series that we're calling Gifts That Keep On Giving. We've been talking about spiritual gifts and uh, we've gone through, you know, what spiritual gifts are for. You know, they're for us to be able to serve God through the, the talents and abilities that God gives us. Those are either you know, natural abilities, but of course, who made you? So if God made you with certain natural abilities, then he's got a plan for those natural abilities. And then there are supernatural abilities, or all of a sudden you can do something that you couldn't do before. And those are also spiritual gifts. And those indicate the role that we have in the body of Christ, how we're supposed to serve God. So we've talked about a lot of that. We went through different lists of the gifts of the Spirit, that sort of a thing in recent weeks. And and last week we talked about developing your spiritual gifts, you know, growing in your spiritual gifts. And this is very, very important because this, I think, is the biggest thing for me with regards to this idea. And it is this, it's that if we're going to engage in the life that God has for us, we need to be progressing in our ability to live that life. And the thing that happens to a lot of Christians is they start to get stagnant in their faith and then they get bored and then they slip away from God because they're just like, well, what's the point? And here's the deal. Life on the bench is boring. Life in the game is fun. And so if we're on the bench all the time because we're not developing our spiritual gifts and we're not developing the character that we need, you know, you can disqualify yourself for character issues or you can not be able to serve because of lack of development of spiritual gifts. And then if you're just on the bench, it's boring. And then it gets stagnant and that's no fun. And what we need to do is be able to serve God in the capacity that he's called us to do. You know, that's just all kinds of different sort of things. You know, there's as many callings as there are people. And uh, we just have to find what God's plan is for us. But if we get stuck and we don't get to the place where we are serving God in a life-giving way, we're just going to get bored. And that's a disaster for two reasons. It's hard on you and the work that you were created to do doesn't get done. And so that is a huge disaster, right? So we need to develop those spiritual gifts. Last week, we went over my kind of top 10 things you need to know about developing your spiritual gifts. The first one on our list was don't quit. That was the first one. And the 10th one was also don't quit. I put that one on there twice because it's the most important thing. Don't quit. Keep going. Just being offended is not a reason to quit. You know, you feel like you're not getting anything done is not a reason to quit. The environment isn't perfect is not a reason to quit. Don't quit. Keep at it. Learn, grow, get better. You can serve God in an imperfect environment. It's the only option you got. And learn and grow so that you can get to that place where your faith is a life-giving experience for you and the people you interact with. So that's the huge thing. Don't quit. This week, we're kind of taking a little bit of a sidetrack, but it's on the same lines. We're talking about the greatest gift that's ever been given. Have you ever received a really cool gift or a really meaningful gift? You know, like in your life, have you ever gotten something that was particularly important to you? I can think of two gifts that I received when I was a kid that were really cool. The first one was when I was, I don't know, first, second, third grade, somewhere in there, I got a bicycle for my birthday. 
And my birthday's in February, so it was in the house for a long time. But then when the snow melted, I got to go outside with my bicycle. But here was the cool thing about my bicycle that I got for my birthday. And it's that the tires were red instead of black. So I had a bike with red rubber tires instead of black rubber tires. And now when I grew up, there was a certain tradition among the young people that were riding their bikes around town. And that is that you tried to go really fast and then you would skid and try to leave a nice skid mark on the sidewalk out in front of the Dairy Queen. And then you were uh, super cool if you did that. Now, the great thing about having a bike with red tires was that everybody knew that one was mine. You know, like, you see that one? That was me. Yeah, and that was really fun to be able to have a bike with red tires. That was a great gift that I got. And then another gift that was super cool was when uh, I started to get a little bit older, my dad had a pocket knife, a three-blade little pocket knife that he had had for years and years and years. And it just, to me, it was a symbol of, of him. And I'm, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, something like that. And he got me an exact same knife. And I was just like, oh, you know, like this, it's just like my dad's knife, you know? So that to me was like a symbol of you're, you're grown up, you're getting there, you know, it was just a rite of passage kind of moment and a super meaningful gift. So I hope you've had beautiful experiences of receiving wonderful, incredible gifts, but there is one ultimate gift that has been given, and this is a gift that's been given to each one of us. Let's read from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God so loved the world that He gave. Our Heavenly Father loves the world. And He responded to that love. Now, when it says that God so loved the world, it's talking about the broken, sinful world, the messed up world, all the junk that's going on. Because that involves people who are hurting and broken and wandering into things that are causing them problems and hurting other people. God so loved that broken world that He gave His only begotten Son, His one and only Son. So, what sort of gift have you given? Have you ever given a gift that was a stretching gift? You know, you had a child that was in need and you gave more than maybe you should have. Or there's a missions offering and you're just like, oh, and you give till it hurts, you know. Have you ever really given a lot? What did our Father in heaven give to a broken, sinful world? His only begotten Son, His one and only Son, in different translations. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, The second part of the Trinity, he gave Jesus, his son, to go from heaven to this world to go through some really harsh things. Now, which is easier, to go through something hard yourself or to watch your kid go through something hard? Oh, it's way easier to go through it yourself. Oh, man. If you could take 
the misery that your child is going through onto yourself, I think pretty close to 100% of parents would be like, yep, nope, absolutely. Give it to me twice. Watching your son suffer, watching your daughter suffer is one of the hardest things ever. This is how much our Heavenly Father loves each one of us, each one who does not believe in God, each person in this entire broken world. He loves us so much that He would send Jesus, His only begotten Son. Have you ever had to have a lifestyle downgrade? You know, like, oh, can't afford that house anymore. Oh, can't afford that car anymore. And you have a downgrade. Imagine the downgrade from heaven to a manger. I mean, that's, that's a lifestyle change. You know I mean? That's a serious downgrade. But that wasn't the biggest thing that Jesus went through, was that downgrade in lifestyle. Of course, he would go through life. He would have to face opposition, temptation, all the struggles of being human. And then he would teach the truths of God and demonstrate miraculously the power of God. And his reward for that would be that he would be hated, that he would be falsely arrested, tried. He would be found guilty, scourged and beaten and crucified and killed. And the worst part of that is he would be separated from his father as he took on the sins of the world. That's what our father in heaven gave to watch his son go through that. That's an amazing, amazing gift. So, this gift is the great gift of salvation. I wonder if God's love language is giving gifts. I'm not sure. That's a big gift. He just wanted us to have a chance. God wanted us to be able to be free. I think it was more of a loving us thing than a gift as a love language thing. And there was a practical piece to it. But this gift that God gave us, this ultimate, most powerful gift, is the gift of salvation. Jesus was born of a virgin, the Holy One of God. He lived a sinless life, though He was tempted in every way, as an example for us. And then he died as our substitute that we may live. This is an incredible, amazing, wonderful gift. And so let's look at Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and we will see two parts to this gift of salvation. It's very important to understand that there's two pieces to this. They're both, of course, interwoven, but there's two parts to this great gift of salvation that we have. Romans chapter 6 Verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, We were therefore buried with Him, that is, through Christ. So Christ's death and burial is a symbol of our laying down the old man, our laying down the sinful nature, our getting rid of our sin and shame, all the imperfections and things that we're uh, ashamed of, the things that we need to get free from in our past, we lay that down, it's crucified with Christ. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So the first part of salvation is living a new life in Christ now. 
living new life today, not hindered by the past, not hindered by the, the sins we've committed and our guilt over those things, not hindered by the repetitive cycles of sin that take us down, not hindered by the evils of this world that have sunk into our heart, but free from all of that so that we can live a new life right now. We have new life in Christ today because of God's love for the world that caused him to send his son to come and die for us. So step one is live a new life today. I think it's super unfortunate when Christianity is just degraded into fire insurance. You know what I mean? That's just a really unfortunate reality. Jesus did not go around the countryside and say, You want to avoid hell? Because it's coming for you. Let me help you avoid hell. That wasn't how he spread his message. He had a different thing. He was calling people into a new life, into the fullness of God's plan for them, which of course includes heaven and freedom from damnation. But the first thing, as we read here, even in Romans, is living a new life. So let's look at a couple of other verses. John 10.10, a great verse about living new life in Christ today. So this is where Jesus is talking about being a good shepherd. And he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus says. So Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. King James, more abundantly. Life more abundantly. So Who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? The thief, which would be the devil or just this sinful world, the darkness of this world could stand for both of those, I think very directly for the devil, the enemy. But if there's stealing and killing and destroying, is that from God? Did Jesus come so that you would be stolen from, that you would be killed and destroyed? That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came that you could have life, have it to the full, have life more abundantly. This is talking about life right now, new life now, born again life now. That's freedom now. This is a big deal. We want to grab hold of that new life in Christ now. Jesus paid the price for that, that we could be free and we could walk in that. It's an incredible, incredible gift to not be bound by your past and have that define your future. Oh man, to not be held back by the darkness of this world and have that taint our souls and our hearts for the rest of our lives. We can be free from that. New life in Christ today. Boy, when I was in India, Matthew 9.36 really started to ring in my mind and in my heart. Let's read Matthew 9.36. It says this, When he, that is Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It doesn't say he had compassion on them because they were going to hell. He said, oh, they're living a life that isn't the fullness of the life that God the Father and that Jesus envisioned for them. They're, they're the creation of God made in the image of God and they're living this harassed, helpless, just unfortunate existence and Jesus had compassion on them. And, you know, being in India, it's a very difficult place to spread the gospel because sharing your faith is illegal in India. You can have church in the church building, but if you go outside and say, hey, you know, Jesus is the way, then you get kicked out of the country. That's it. 
There's been missions teams that have come in and they, they saw on Facebook, they, oh, we're going to go share the gospel in India. And they didn't let them in. They're like, you can't come in here and do that. <laughs> you know, so you'd be very careful. Missionaries aren't called missionaries. You know, you got to be real careful. The, the government's really cracking down on Abrahamic religions. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Christianity and Islam are equally, they're sort of stuck together. Like, ah, the Christians and Muslims, you know, they, they just push them over there. The Abrahamic religions are just sort of off to the side and, and they're trying to get rid of them. So it's a difficult thing, but you see these huge numbers of people, huge numbers of people that drink in just not healthy water. And they're trying to appease gods that aren't very nice, you know, and, and they're just missing, they're missing the truth. The Hindu reincarnation theology is very unfortunate because if you're suffering in this life, it's because of something you did in a previous life. And so you don't try to fix it. You just live through it and die so that then maybe the next one will be better. So they don't rescue the hurting. They just let them. You know, it's just a completely different mentality. And you think, oh, no, they could have new life in Christ today. This nation could be changed. People could understand their value in Christ. They could know who they truly are, but they don't. And so I just thought, wow, that's what Jesus saw. He saw the crowds and had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. People without Jesus and no real knowledge of who he is. Just a distorted idea of a false religion. So step one is grabbing hold of new life now. Step two of salvation, this great gift, we'll go back to Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Romans 6, verse 5 says this, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So when we lay our life down, when we put down our sinful nature, we ask God for forgiveness and we step up into new life in Christ, then not only do we have new life now, but we also have everlasting life with God for eternity. Now that's pretty good news. I don't know, but sometimes I think that Christians kind of take this for granted. You know, going to heaven is a big deal. You, you excited about going to heaven? You, did you wake up this morning and go, woo, this is kind of a mess, but I'm going to heaven, baby. You know, this is going to be okay. You know, like, well, the road to heaven might be a little bumpy, but it's going to be okay. I was thinking, what if I was able, I'm, I'm not able, if I was a fancy chemist and that sort of a thing, and I could create a medicine, a pill that would give a person 50 years of perfect health and not aging. You just take this pill 50 years, you stay the same age, and you never get sick. How much would that pill be worth? 50 bucks? 100 bucks? Million dollars? 10 million dollars? There'd be people that would pay everything they have for a pill like that. How does that compare to eternal life with God in the perfect world forever? That's nothing compared to that. You take that pill, you're still going to have relationship problems. There's still going to be all the issues. You can still get hit by a car. You know, like there's all these issues are still there. When we go to heaven, it's a completely different thing. And I just feel like we cannot take that for granted. We need to be more conscious of the fact that we are going to heaven. I didn't grow up in a Christian home and I had no expectation of an afterlife whatsoever. I just thought, well, that's a fairy tale. Nobody gets an afterlife. You're done. You're worm food. That's it. But this is pretty cool. Get to live. Pretty neat to be alive. Because there's people, but I am this one. Just think of that for a minute. 
There's, what, 7 billion people on the planet. You're none of those. You didn't specifically have to exist. But here you are. Like, you're the one that's experiencing this. How did that happen? I mean, it's amazing. And I just thought, that's really cool. You know, I'll get my 70 years, 80 years, I don't know, and then I'll be dead. And that's pretty sweet. God intervened in my life, and I realized that there's something more than this life that we can have everlasting life, eternal life, where there's, there's no death and there's no messed up stuff either. And that's amazing. How can we not be in awe of that every moment of every day? It's just incredible. We get everlasting life in the paradise of God. How much more do you need? Well, yeah, but God didn't answer my prayer last week, so I'm mad at him now. Oh, okay. okay. You, need, you need more than that. You need more than Jesus dying on the cross to give you new life and everlasting life. You need more than that from God? Christians are, they can be interesting people. Right. I think what happens is we just get used to something and we take it for granted and we're no longer in awe of the greatest gift that's ever been given. And wow, if we could walk around each day in awe of our future, then we could walk through these hard days a little bit easier. And carrying something with us that's more valuable. I want to look at the book of Revelation where heaven is described. A lot of the things in the book of Revelation are symbolic. It's widely understood and I believe that this section of Revelation is just a description of reality that we will experience. And so let's look at Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read a big long chunk. So uh, we're going to go on a journey to heaven. Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So the first heaven, that's, that's basically the atmosphere or the universe it could be. It's not talking about where God is. You know, there's the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. First heaven is like the atmosphere. The second heaven is the universe. And the third heaven is the spirit realm, you know, where God is. So this isn't talking about the spirit realm being destroyed, but about the reality that we see having passed away and a new heaven and a new earth coming. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So Jesus says he's going ahead to prepare a place for us. And so this is a big piece of that. The new Jerusalem coming down from God, exactly how that works, I'm not really sure, but it'll be something to see when we see it. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. How many people are looking forward to the old order of things passing away? One of the things that I I see at funeral services is just the unnaturalness of death. You know, we were not created for death. We were created for eternity. And so when death happens, it just seems so wrong. And it just isn't part of who we were meant to be. And we're, we're meant for eternity. And that's this new way. The, the way of death will be gone. The way of pain will be gone. And we'll be in this new way. 
He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, he who overcomes. We talked about the two parts of the gift. The new life now, life to the full, abundant life now, and then everlasting life in the paradise of God. He who overcomes indicates a struggle. The thing about living the new life in Christ now is that it's a struggle. When the nation of Israel was set free from its bondage in Egypt, it went to the promised land. What did it find in the promised land? Giants with swords that didn't like them. They had to fight to grab God's promise in this life. And it's the same for us. If we're going to have new life in Christ, abundant life, we have to fight for it. We have to overcome. There are obstacles and difficulties. There's a curse. There's evil and darkness. There's our own hearts that betray us. We have to fight and fight and overcome. In this everlasting life, we won't have to overcome. We won't have to fight. We won't have to struggle. There, there won't be the curse and death and all these things. Now is the time when we overcome. We overcome to grab hold of new life in Christ. And then we are given the second part of the gift, which is eternal life that we don't have to fight for. Verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now we want to avoid this. We're talking about the greatest gift ever given, not the most dangerous thing that you want to watch out for. So understand that there is a very important thing. There's the old ways, the ways of destruction. We get new life in Christ. There's also damnation, and that's bad. We want everlasting life. What's the first one on this list? Cowardly, the cowardly. Is that the first one on most people's lists? Oh yeah, those cowards. Oh, so sick of this culture today full of cowards. Verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. So we see potentially a three-dimensional layout of the city. So 12,000 stadia. What exactly is that? We don't use that measurement anymore. So 
Here's the deal. One side of the holy city is just a little bit farther than from Duluth to New Orleans. That's pretty far. That's flying down the interstate for 20 hours. That's how big the holy city is. Now, I tell you, I see some good news in that. You want to know what the good news is on a huge New Jerusalem? It is that God is expecting a crowd. If you've got a city the size of the western United States, you are looking at a crowd coming in. And that I find very exciting because I don't like the idea of people missing out on everlasting life. That to me is a disaster. And this is a huge city. So to me, that means that God's looking for any excuse to let somebody in. So go ahead and avoid being a coward and all the other things on that list. And do what you need to do to draw close to God and be forgiven and brought into everlasting life. But God is looking for a crowd to come. Hallelujah for that. Verse 17. He measured the wall and it was 144 cubits thick, 200 feet thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. But these are all real gems that you can find in today's world. It's, it's kind of neat. So it's going to be a very beautiful, beautiful city. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each made of a single pearl. So that's the pearly gates idea. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the the Lamb is its lamp. Remember, in Genesis chapter 1, there's light first, and then there's sun, moon, and stars. And people are like, that's weird. You know, how come there's light but no givers of light? That's also how it's going to finish. It's just going to be the light of God. Things are just going to sort of glow. I'm not sure. It'll be very interesting to find out. But it's going to go back to that. Uh, It's a whole different way. Verse 24. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. So there's going to be a huge street going down the middle of the city and a river flowing through it. And it's, it's the, the river of life. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. 
They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is what our future holds. Let's not live this life unaware of what we have in store for us as believers in God. That is a huge, huge blessing. Now, here's our next question. Have you ever given a gift, but that gift was not received? You offered a gift, but they didn't take it. You know, you got down on your knee and you brought out the ring and she was like, look, man, (laughs) it's not like that. Isn't it painful to give something that is so huge and so important and so meaningful to you and then it's rejected? Different people have responded in different ways to this greatest gift ever given. There's got to be a whole bunch of them. Let's, let's just look at four real quick. People can refuse the gift. If you refuse the gift, what does that do to the giver? It hurts the giver. It can be a slap in the face of the giver. God gave his one and only son. This is a gift that is powerful and wonderful and glorious. Let's receive that gift. Some people only want part of the gift. You know, they want heaven, but they don't want new life now. They want to live for the devil now. They want to yield to their sinful nature now, but they want to go to heaven. You know, that's the fire insurance idea. And that, of course, has nothing to do with Christianity. It's just a big mess. Don't want the old life, the destruction life, the selfish life now, and then try to go to heaven. Live for Christ now. Receive the full gift, not just part of the gift. Then there are people who happily receive the full gift. Who are like, yep, I want new life in Christ. I don't want to live the old way anymore. I want, to, I want to live in the light of God. And I want to have everlasting life too. That sounds awesome. But I just want to, I want to know God. And I want to grow with God. And they receive the full gift. But there's a fourth option. That I think is better than all of those three. And that is this. To recognize that there are other people in this world that need that gift too. To receive the full gift and then have a heart to see everyone in this world who could possibly receive that gift also receive the gift. Because here's the thing about the gift of salvation. When you receive it, then you have it to give. And when you give it, you have even more than what you started with. So it isn't the sort of thing that when you give it away that you don't have it anymore. When you give it away, it's even stronger in your heart. So when we give salvation, what we have received from God, freely receive, freely give. When we give that to others, when we share that gift with others, it grows within us. And oh man, how many people need that gift? So the great Appropriate response to the greatest gift ever given is to receive it and then to do everything in your power to give it. You know, 42% of the world today has no legitimate access to the gospel. 42% of the population of the earth does not know Christ and is considered an unreached people group. The United States of America is the largest growing mission field on the world. The United States is the largest growing mission field. And then let's take this home. I'm the 
what they call the presbyter of the northeast section of the Minnesota District of the Assemblies of God. So I have a little bit of oversight over about 25 churches in the Arrowhead region. And we have more pastors who are burning out or retiring than we have pastors coming in. So we have open churches. We have whole communities where the church has no pastor and we have no hope for finding one anytime soon. Just going to take a miracle. Somebody come in from who knows where and pastor the church. We're losing ground. The greatest gift that has ever been given is in our hands and available to the rest of the world and we're losing ground. That just makes no sense to me. How can we fail with the gospel? Let's win. Let's receive that gift to its fullness and let's give that gift to the extent that we've been called to in the ways that God has called us to. Let's give that gift. So as we have our prayer time, there's two things we need to look at. Number one, have you received the full gift? I'm not just talking about wanting to go to heaven. You don't get to give your afterlife to Christ. You have to give this life to Christ. So receive the full gift, new life in Christ and everlasting life. And then do you have a heart to do whatever it takes to see as many other people receive that gift as possible. Let's read Matthew 9, 35 through 38 as our closing scriptures. We read one of these verses earlier. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So earlier I said Jesus didn't go around threatening people with hell to get them to follow him. What he did was he healed their diseases. He did miracles and he benefited people. And then he told them about the good news of the kingdom of God. That was his methodology. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Still today, all around the world and in our region, in the Arrowhead, the Iron Range, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So let's pray. Let's make sure we've received this gift. And then let's have a heart to share it and to do our part to advance the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you that you didn't just wipe us out and start over with other people, but your plan was redemption. Your plan was to take the broken and bring healing. Your plan was to take the sinner and bring cleansing. Your plan was to take what seemed not redeemable and redeem. Lord, we thank you for that great gift of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that we can live a new life in Christ and that we can have everlasting life and that we can share that gift with others. If you're someone today and and you just don't think you've opened that whole gift, maybe you've had a picture of wanting to go to heaven, but you didn't know about living a new life in Christ, or you've never given your life to Christ and you need salvation and, and that new life, if that's you and you need to say, yes, Lord, I'm in, I want you to raise your hand. Father, I just pray your blessings would fall on those who just raised their hands. Lord, that they would receive that full gift, that they would would open it, have new life, be able to walk in your ways, in your truth, in your joy, in your peace. Hallelujah. And walk every day in anticipation of what we will receive in glory. Now, if, if you're someone and you see that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, And you want to do your part to see everyone who can open this gift, open it. If you want to be part of the cause of Christ, 
I want you to raise your hand. Father, I thank you for workers in the harvest field. I thank you, Lord, for those who don't just want to take the gift for themselves and just say everybody else can just deal with it. But Lord, I thank you for those who have a heart to see others receive this great gift. Father, I pray empowerment by your spirit over those who are endeavoring to do what you've called them to do. Lord, bring strength of heart and character. Bring joy and peace. And Lord, bring your spiritual gifts, your abilities, so that they can serve you in a mighty way and bring you great glory. And Father, I pray your peace over each one of us. Lord, I pray your joy would be our strength. Lord, I pray we would know how much you love us so that we can see how much you love everyone else. Father, bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.